I forgot his name, man, out of Utah. The dude, uh, they ended up killing a dude. The other kid that was with him, he went to jail for, like, forgery. He's a, you know, skinny little white kid. I think he had glasses. And then he ended up, you know, helping this dude kill this other dude. He held the dude on the ground while the other dude stabbed him. It was called Gladiator. The video was Gladi- Gladiator. And they oh stabbed God. the dude. They kill him. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you the info so you can check it out. They yeah. killed the dude, right? Now, this is, this is just some kid that went into prison. You know, really, he was just, you know, what some people might call the lane. But this other kid influenced him. Hey, man, help me. We're going to kill this dude because the dude's disrespecting us on the door. They sign him up for sick call. They kill the dude. Now, that dude's got a life sentence because they put him in a maximum security prison, an 18-year-old kid. And, you know, had he not helped the dude, he might have been a stabbing victim. So sometimes you're, you feel like you're in a position where, you know, either you're going to do this in order to protect yourself or you're not. Because if he didn't do it, then there might be consequences for him. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand about prison. You know, sometimes people do things that they don't want to do because they're protecting themselves. And I'm sure, yeah. and I'm sure you've seen this. You know, I was with a dude from Texas. This dude was like one of the toughest dudes on the compound. I was in USP Big Sandy at the time. And, you know, he was putting in work. He was doing some bad things to people, man, stabbing people, doing all kinds of stuff. But really, he had cooperated on his case, and no mm-hmm. one knew. So what he was doing was, and he was a tough dude, dude named Swift. So what Swift was doing was, I know his real name too. So anyway, what Swift was doing was, you know, he'd, he'd you know, unleash violence on other dudes to protect himself, to keep people off of him. And, you know, dudes were scared of this dude. And at the end of the day, he would have been put in the hat. He would have been in a bad position had people found out. But dudes do things, you know, so you stay focused on something else than the issue at hand. And we see that every day in life as well, you know. And, again, that's a lot of the issue that's going on out here in society is people hiding from who they really are and exploiting others in the process, right? So let's get into that a little bit, right? So people really understand, again, what it is that we're talking about. Now, for me, I've never associated with gangs. I never wanted to be part of gangs, right? Never wanted to to be involved in it. Not that I disrespect them, not because I don't understand them, just because I have no place in them, right? And this is what I always knew is I, I had no place in a gang, you know? And, and I always carried a lot of respect for that when I explained it that way. So when you're in prison, you're in a gang, whether you know it or not, right? So you have what they call cars, you know, and when you get inside, nobody is without a car. A car could be where you're from. If you're from a heavily populated area, say, say Miami, you may have, you may, what they would call the Miami car. Right. And now with the federal system, because you could be shipped anywhere in the country. So now when when if you're if you're in a Florida institution, yeah, your your car may be big. But if you get shipped out to California, you may only have three people in your car. Right. So you may have to join another sort of car. So the point of what I'm getting at is, is these people are what you call independents. They're not affiliated with no gangs, but they're just independent individuals that all run together and they look out for one another. They keep everybody on the straight, so on and so forth. Then you have gangs. Do you consider that a gang? 
I don't consider it a gang. No, I, I don't consider, I don't like the, the name gang to say, right. Okay. It, for me, right. A gang is just a group of people that are just trying to survive under an environmental pressure that they're under, right. They, they coexist under one ideology, whatever that ideology may be. We put the stigma of a gang on them and then we labelize gang as a negative, violent, murderous thing. You see? Okay. I agree with you. I'm glad you said that. That's insightful. Even for me, I learned something from you today. Teachable moment. So, well, I appreciate that. So, and, and again, this is the premise of what my show really is, is really just to try to enlighten people so they, we can get rid of this stigma because the stigma is what's killing us. The stigma is what's not allowing us to find employment when we come home. The stigma is what's eating us alive from the inside out. I'm big on, I'm big on what you say too, because it's like, you want society, you, really what you want to do is you want to change society's perception, right? Not you just by yourself, but us, including myself. I want to change society's perception of prisoners and prison, you know, gangs and violence. And, you know, these are the worst of the worst. These people never deserve to get out because that's what people think. You know what I mean? They watch these prison shows. I'm sure they watch plenty of YouTube channels. And, you know, a lot of that stuff does happen in there, right? But there's also good people in there that deserve a second chance to reclaim their lives. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, people are redeemable. And I'm a firm believer that there's more good people in prison than the bad people. You know, it's kind of like back in the day when everybody would say, oh, don't have a pit bull dog. They'll bite your kids. And, you know, and, you know, that's exactly 20, right. 25 years later, we find, hey, man, these are really good dogs. You know, so people, people need to understand that there are good people in prison. There are people that do deserve a second chance. There are people in prison that are dying to get out of prison to be a productive society, to be a, a productive person in society. And, you know, sometimes they're never going to get, you know, a lot of people aren't going to get that chance. I was one of those people. Had the law not changed, I would have went to prison at 24. And if I would have done my full term, I would have got out at 64. With good time, I would have got out at 58. So what was there? What was the incentive, you know, to do the right thing? Was there an incentive? Or, you know, not even was there an incentive? You know, some people give up. A lot of people give up. They say, man, I got nothing left. When I got out of prison, my mom will be dead. I'll have no family. It's kind of like that movie. What was that movie? Shawshank Redemption? Yes, man. Remember that movie? Shawshank Redemption, man. The guy got out of jail and just couldn't function. How do you take a 24-year-old and release him when he's 60? And I didn't kill anybody. You know, do you, you, know you talk about you want people to have a successful reentry. You can't possibly think, as a lawmaker, and we're talking about senators, congressmen, and the president right now, you can't possibly think that you're going to make society a better place by putting someone, a nonviolent drug offender in prison for 40 years and then releasing them. Where's the successful reentry? Any type of social integration, any type of employment is, you know, pretty much impossible. It's impossible. And, you know, I've, I've, I've done some interviews and stuff. And I've told people when I got out of prison, there were things that, you know, I, it was hard for me after 17 years. I was scared to, like, cross the street. Cars are coming by. Honestly, I have a hard time sleeping at night, man. I actually sleep, man, I, I, you know, I sleep with a knife, man. And, my, and, and I live in a nice area, but it's that. The comfort. The, maybe it's the PTSD or that's the what comfort. I know. That it's, knife it's, gives me the security blanket. You have I, PTSD. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. And what's important about that, Chad, is understanding that. I have PTSD. Four years later, I'm still experiencing it. 
I experience uh, just in my house, any sudden noise that, that I'm not aware of, it startles me. I jump, right? So, any, any, anything behind me. It could be a plastic bag that my wife may hang on the back of a door that I don't know. And when I open the door, the bag just startles me, right? Because, again, we've lived years under a lifestyle of as soon as that door cracks, you get up, you put your boots on, you strap up. That means put your knife on you somewhere instantly because three or four dudes could run up in your cell at any moment because you may have pissed somebody off or you may have been green lighted. But we're going to get into all of that, right? But it's that anxiety that every day, every day, you could make one wrong decision that could end your life or drastically change your life to where you're, you're using the bathroom out of a bag. Again, these are missions of people. People may not want to kill you. They just may want you to shit out of a bag for the rest of your life is what they would say. You There's know? plenty of people that accidentally killed people that weren't planning on killing anyone. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I've mean, seen a dude in Pollock where it was, Pollock. I know yeah, it was the white dudes. They said, uh, I was USP Pollock for a little bit. And they said, Hey, you know, don't eat the bag lunch. You know, we're, we're going against the cops. We're not, we're not taking the food. Well, this white dude didn't have nothing in his locker to eat. So, you know, he ate his bag. No one could get any food to him. The cop wouldn't pass nothing. He ate his bag, man. He was hungry. He came out and they said, we're, gonna, we're just going to beat this dude up. And they beat him up so bad, he walked down to the officer station, he fell down and died. And one of the dudes that was involved only had like eight months left. I don't know what happened to him, but them dudes mm-hmm. didn't intend to kill the dude. They wanted to beat him up. But now guess what? Some of them are probably going to do life. You know, cop out when you kill someone in prison, it used to be life. You kill someone in prison only get five years. They're not playing right. that shit. Now it's 25, 30 more years. I had a celly that was stabbed, man, over 30 times. And he was the wrong dude. He came from Hazleton to Big Sandy. They thought he was someone else. The TABs hit him. The Texas Aaron Brotherhood hit him. And uh, they stabbed him 30-something times. He never – this dude didn't testify to them dudes or nothing. They went to court. The cops came and testified. They played the video. One dude ended up with 25 more years, and the other dude copped out to 15 more. So when the dude had 30, now he's got another 25. His life's over with, man. You know, these things do happen in prison. That's a reality. How, how easy is that to happen and – uh, someone to get set up and, and take that bid. How easy, uh, rephrase that question, man. Ask so, so how easy it for, is it for me, let's say, to, to, to knock somebody off, as you said, right, and yeah. plant my, my shank on somebody and, and, and set that other person up to take my bid? I mean, it's possible, but if you do stuff out in the day room, there's cameras pretty much everywhere, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. some blind spots. We've seen that with Whitey Bulger. Um, but there, I've seen dudes, you know, stab a dude and two dudes go to the hole and the dude says, no, he didn't have nothing to do with it. I did. Mm-hmm. And that dude gets out of the hole and the other dude's down there in the hole in Big Sandy for 30 days and then he gets out and it's nothing. But when you kill someone, I mean, I think it's a little difficult. I'm going to keep it real with you. You can stab a dude in the cell with that camera scene who went in the cell, you know, and believe it or not, even in these maximum security prisons, USPs. There's dudes in there telling on people, bro. I've seen dude. I've seen a dude killed in my unit when I was in mm-hmm. USP lead, and I was shocked to see the dudes that came out of their cell and went to court and testified at the grand jury. You know, needless to say, they never came back to that prison, at least not mm-hmm. on the compound. They came back and went in the shoe. But you know, there are dudes that tell on people, man. So there's a lot of cameras there, including ones with two legs. People tell on people, man. Dudes, some dudes are doing life like 
I'm telling on this dude if they're going to let me get out. And dudes do that shit, man. And, you know, we had a homeboy from Jersey. I was, I'm from New York. We had a homeboy from Jersey. He was an old man when that happened. You know, my buddy called him over to the cell and said, hey, what are you doing? You're going to court? And the dude said, I'm just telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And we were, and this was an old man, like 70 years old. He said, I'm just going to tell him the truth, dog. <laughs> and it was just like, you're going down to yeah. tell on this dude, man, for a murder. So, yeah, it's, I think it's hard to get away with that, bro, at least in the federal prison system, in the prisons that I've been in, because the cameras and, you know, so many people are willing to tell, bro, even the tough guys, man. So, so let me ask you this here, right? Out of all, everything that you saw and everything that I've saw whatnot, mm-hmm. how much of these occurrences are not brought on by the people themselves? Right, like how many dudes are getting raped? How many dudes are getting stabbed just just because, right? Or they're not bringing these things on to themselves. Well, I write about this in my book a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I think that dudes in federal prison in the places that I've been, like Big Sandy, Polak, USP Lee, that was a little more calmer, but you know, this isn't Allenwood, bro. This ain't USP Allenwood. These are these were serious prisons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is like Victorville and Big Sandy. These are Polak. These are the tough places. Um, I think some dudes make up reasons, man, just just to stab people. We had a dude when I was in Big Sandy. I heard him screaming through the vent. These dudes were alleging that he wrote a letter to the prosecutor. But really what they wanted to do was these dudes were junkies. They wanted to rob the dude. So they made up an, an excuse and said, oh, no, we can read it through his on his pad. You can actually see what he wrote the prosecutor. Long story short, dude, it turned out to be a bunch of bullshit. The dude had a big-ass store. You know, he had, you know, probably two, dollars $3,000 worth of stuff. They wanted to stab him and take his stuff. And that's what they did. They stabbed the dude, made up an excuse, stabbed him, and took his stuff. You know, you know, I was in the car because, like you said, whenever you're, you know, whatever prison you go to, if you go to a maximum security federal prison, you're going to be in a car as soon as you walk in or you're mm-hmm. out of there. And they make it pretty clear. We're your homeboys. This is what it is. Either you're with us or you're out of here. So in Big Sandy, we had a shot caller there, and he's one of the dudes from that movie, The Town. Remember the, the movie, The Town, out of Boston? Yep, yep. One of them dudes was there, and he was the shot caller in the car when I got there. And I talk about him, you know, in my book, Steve. And he, he told us he wanted us to hit a dude for sitting in his chair at the chow hall. And in my mind, I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. The dude sat in your chair that you think you own really you don't own the chair but you think you own the chair but his house ate first so now you want to stab the dude for sitting in your in your chair long story short man a couple of the homeboys jumped on him beat him up and you know he was an older fella he got beat up for sitting in a chair so you know people i believe firm believer that people just make up shit to do stuff to people but i think it stems from the hurt and the pain and the anger over their situation man where there's no incentive they're never getting out of prison and they're well, angry, I, I've, so they lash out. I, I've seen people like like the chair bit is is a serious offense, right? And, and I've seen that because, like what you say, there's very very few things in prison that we can claim as our own, right? And 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 what you're talking about is the chair is in the day area and in, in the little area, depending on the layout of 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 your dorm, of course, but. In most places, you have a day area and you have TV set up there. Now, out in Texas, because of the segregation is 100%, you have a mostly in, in all prisons, it's like this, but you have a white TV, you have a black TV, you have a Spanish TV, you have a sports TV, and then a movie TV, right? And 
whites sit in front of the white TV and that's it. They can only control the white TV, you know, and then usually you have a, a whoever is the speaker of that dorm or whatever controls what's on that TV or what they watch, but it's usually a group thing, right? So you have a little small section on the floor where you put your chair. You have to take your chair in at night. You have to bring it out. So you have a small little section where you bring your chair. And this is your chair. Depending on how long you've been there, you, you kind of move up getting closer to the TV, right? That's the ultimate goal to get to where, wherever it is that you want to sit, you know? Absolutely and ridiculous. This is how crazy it is, right? And, and you, you're, over years... You're, you're fighting or you, somebody will go home or they'll go to the shoot. No, nah, no, nah, that's my spot now. I want that spot. People will stab each other over this small little spot because they say that they claim right to it before. And this is how serious mental trauma gets inside a prison. How, how much, and this is what I wanted to get into before with the guards, because I don't want to paint a picture that all guards are bad right? Because they're, they're trying to survive as well. What I'm trying to state is that what prison does and the current state that it's in, it creates an environment for, for serious psychopathy. It, it raises an environment for, for serious, serious psychopaths. And, and because of stigma, because of media, because of these things, right? It allows now for for people, right, these guards, prior to becoming guards, to say, oh, you know what, these guys are big and bad, they're killing people inside, they need people to come, I'm just as bad as they are. So they're going in there and getting jobs under the mentality of not to rehabilitate, but to, to, to oppress and to punish, right? This is what prison is doing. It's just creating this environment, right? And as we know, we adapt to our environment. So now when these guards and, these, and these, these wardens and these lieutenants or whatnot are coming in with the oppressive mind state that they have, it's creating anxiety for us. It's creating frustration for us. It's keeping us distracted from rehabilitating. It's keeping us in an emotional, angry state every day to where we come to the point to where we want to battle over a small one foot square of, of concrete to get a little bit of better, better view on a, on a 20 inch television. That, you know, that's, that's one of the things that they forget when they walk in there, the punishment comes from the court, not from the cops, not from the warden. The punishment comes from the court, but them people that work in there. And like you said, you know, not all are bad, but for me, my experience, 80% of them are, are, are horrible. They're just horrible. Well, because you're at the end of the line you're at the you're in the slush right so you are where nobody you you are considered the person that can't be maintained so they're sending robocops to you right well let me tell you this i've been in prisons where like big sandy and I, i've mentioned this before where you know one of the one of the dudes as soon as i got there slapped the co in the day room he slapped the mm -hmm. guard right in the day room and the guard was scared to death because you know what are you going to do to a guy that's got life he doesn't care. He has nothing to lose. He's lost everything. So I've been in prisons where the guards were scared, you know, like in Big Sandy. Not all of them, but a lot, man, most of them, they were scared, man. And the warden had to come in there and, like, 
he was a tough dude. It was Warden. The Warden was Reels. And he tried to, like, make them guys, you know, like, we're, we're you know, RoboCops were coming in here. We're smashing these dudes. If they get out of line, we're the bosses. And really, man, a lot of them are still scared. Free Me Podcast.